Good morning, church. And Merry Christmas. I know that um, in many ways Christmas is kind of on its way out. It's been five days after all, but we are still in the Christmas season. And, uh, and it's good to be with you. And I hope you had a good Christmas. And I hope it was with family. And I hope most of all that you enjoyed the presence of God this Christmas. And now New Year's is approaching, and I pray the same for New Year's, that you would celebrate well, and that you would celebrate in the presence of God. So 41 years ago, in the year 1977, something incredible began that is still impacting the world today. (laughs) You're getting ahead of me. I wasn't going to say I was born. Why would you even assume that? I was. Aren't you all blessed? My goodness. What a, what a thing. But no, something else happened that I think is affecting other people in other ways. Voyager 1 and Voyager 2 were launched. Voyager 1 and Voyager 2 are space probes that were launched by NASA back in August 20th and September 5th of 1977, two and three months before my birthday, just out of curiosity. (laughs) The probe's objectives included flybys of Jupiter and Saturn and Saturn's largest moon, Titan. And they took all these amazing photographs and they sent them back to Earth. And back in 2012, Voyager 1 became the first spacecraft to enter the interstellar medium. And that means the space between the stars, the space between our sun and the next star. And this past November, Voyager 2 has now done the same. They are the most distant man-made objects from Earth. They are approximately 21 billion and 17 billion kilometers away from the sun right now. And as impressive as that might sound... At their current speed, which is approximately 15 kilometers a second, it will take them about 44,000 years before they reach the next nearest star. This in a universe of, and guesses vary, 1 billion trillion stars. 1 billion trillion stars. And the one who created the heavens and everything in them humbled himself and he took on flesh and he came to walk amongst us. And he allowed himself to be born just like we were. No golden chariot brought Jesus to earth. No noble charger for him to ride down on. He was born like you and me. And he came to be with us. And we've heard a lot about this in the past few weeks and certainly in the past few days through word and through song. And I hope that we never, ever get underwhelmed by this fact that God wrapped himself in flesh and came to be with us. Now, not much is known about Jesus' growing up. There are stories in some of the apocryphal writings, the material written between the Old Testament and the New Testament, but none of it is what would be considered inspired. All we have are the Christian stories. Sorry, the Christmas stories, the Christian Christmas stories in Matthew and in Luke, 
But Luke includes another story. It includes the story of Jesus as a boy. It's the only story that we have. And so I want to invite you just to sit back for a moment and listen to this story. And it goes like this. Now every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. I thought you had Jesus. No, 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 I thought you had Jesus. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him, and after three days... They found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. And Jesus said to them, why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. And his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in favor and in divine and human favor. Would you pray with me? Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the way in which your word speaks to us, in the ways that your word teaches us. And I pray, Lord, as we delve into your word this morning, you would certainly do that in our hearts and minds this morning. Father God, help us to listen, help us to hear, help us to respond with our lives, Lord Jesus. Thank you for this time together. In your name we pray. Amen. What do we take away from this story? I've never really paid much attention to it myself. Do we marvel at how smart 12-year-old Jesus was? 12-year-old, by the way, is an adult in Jewish culture. He was considered an adult at this time. Do we marvel at the way he could hold his own with the teachers, the experts? We can always, or, or do we take away the fact that we can always find Jesus in his father's house? What does that even mean? Are we talking about church? We can find Jesus here? Is that what we take away from it? Or is it just simply obey your parents, kids? Obey your parents and tell them where you are. I believe at the heart of this passage, Luke is telling his readers that Jesus knows his identity, even at such a young age. I don't think Jesus was born knowing his identity. That doesn't quite sound right to me. But he learned it, and he knows it now. He even gently, yet definitely, redirects the word father. Did you notice that? Mary says, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. And he said to them, why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? He changes it from a human origin to a divine one. 
And I think we take this fact of Jesus' identity home with us, but also the fact that Jesus made being in his father's house a priority. But make no mistake, this has little to do with the temple or a structure. And even today, church does not mean building. It describes people who are in relationship with God and with each other. And the Gospels will go on to show that temple would come to mean us. Jesus would make his home in us, his presence in us. Jesus is making his relationship with the Father a priority. And that's a great question for us as a church, and that's a great question for us as individuals. This new year, will we make God a priority? Now, for this part of the message, I want you to imagine that there's a floor-length mirror right here, and I'm preaching to myself because I need to hear this. I really need to hear this message. And I think we all need to hear this message. I need to remember and I need to understand that there is no greater relationship that I can cultivate this year or the next or any year than my relationship with the Father and with the Son and with the Holy Spirit. Not to make God love me more, not to try and impress Him, not to try and curry favor or get some kind of fringe benefits from Him, but because before I met Jesus, I was the walking dead. And now in him, I am alive in a new and wonderful and powerful way. And so are you. And I want every aspect of my life to come alive with the power of God. I want every relationship to bear the fruit that comes from allowing God to reign over it. I want to know the joy of the Lord, even in the darkest moments that life brings. And I want to share that with my wife and with my kids And I want to share that with my family and with my friends. And I want to share that with you, my dear church family. And for this to be, I need to make God the priority of my life. And the beauty of this is that putting my relationship with God first is never at the expense of my human relationships. On the contrary, it makes them more whole. Love God Love your neighbor. The first leads to the other. We love up so that we can love out. I want to be careful about putting out a formula for this making a God a priority thing to happen because then it becomes all about following a formula instead of following God. And there is no formula for this. Nothing we can do in the sense of making it happen of our own accord But we were designed for a relationship. And a large piece of any relationship, in fact, the most crucial piece, I would say, of any relationship is communication. And communication is done best when we take our time with it. So may I suggest that we follow what we see Jesus doing here. And in 2019, make God our priority by learning to sit and to listen and to respond to him. These are the three things we see Jesus doing in this passage. We need to make space to simply sit with God. 
Now, if you were to knock on the door of the Pat Stone household, if you were to come to my house and knock on the door, the next thing that you're going to hear is a series of barks and a series of growls. And you're going to hear four paws come careening down the stairs, followed by a thump as he literally hits the front door with his body. And it is kind of funny, unless you're afraid of dogs, in which case it's absolutely terrifying. But that's what you're going to hear if you knock on our door. And then the next thing you're going to hear is us commanding Boomer to sit in his corner and wait. And then when we open the door, you're going to see a dog that is bursting at the seams to try and come see you. In fact, he doesn't really sit. He just kind of leans like this, trying to look through the doors as we open it up. And often he doesn't stay. Even when the proverbial voice of God from his master tells him to sit, wait, he hates it. He finds it so hard because he wants to say hello. He's a friendly dog. He's just over-exuberant. We find it hard to sit. We find it hard to wait. But we need to make space to sit with God. Let me tell you something for certain that 2019 will bring to the majority of us in this room. 2019 will bring many more opportunities for us to be busy. I can guarantee you, for most of us in the room, that's what 2019 will offer us. More opportunities to be busy. Busy with work, busy with our kids, busy with all the things that we're involved with, even busy at church. What if we learned instead to sit and be still once in a while? To sit and not fidget. To sit and learn what it's like not to have a phone in your pocket or even, dare I say, on the table in front of you, but to turn that thing off and put it away. To sit and be with God. And I can hear all the parents of young kids right now going, yeah, right. Fair enough. This is easier said than done depending on our life stage. But listen carefully. I do believe that we are very good at making time for the things we want to make time for. And I believe many of us are really, really terrible at making time for the things we need to make time for. Want often trumps need. Twelve-year-old Jesus comes and he sits at the feet of Israel's teachers, listening and asking questions. He knows that he needs to be in his father's house, in the presence of the father. And his ministry would show this as he becomes an adult and as he travels. He would always be stealing himself away to spend time with the father. He wants this and he desires this. And we need that. We need to want that. We need to want God. And if he is not our desire, then we are losing the focus and we are losing the plot very quickly of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Making time to sit with someone, putting aside the distractions, it shows them respect. It shows a desire to share and a willingness to both hear and respond. And all of this gives the person worth. It assigns them worth. And God deserves the greatest assignment of worth in our hearts. Worship is just that, assigning worth to someone or something. Simply sitting and being in God's presence can sometimes be the greatest act of worship you can give him in a week. Sometimes just simply sitting and being in his presence.
In 2019, learn how to simply sit and be with God. Sit and listen. We need to make space to listen to God. I remember a story of a a fellow pastor who found that he could not recall previous conversations, prayer requests, the names of, of people even in his own congregation. And he struggled with this. He was always finding that he couldn't remember what people were telling him. He was always out of the loop somehow. And he decided to get his hearing checked, only to find out that there was absolutely nothing wrong with his ears. His hearing was excellent. And the doctor then informed him that it's not your hearing that's the problem. You're not listening to people. That's a true story. You're not listening to people. We need to make space to listen to God. As Jesus interacted with the teachers in the temple, he wasn't making himself the center of attention. He was following the regular custom of a student learning from his teachers, sitting and listening and responding by asking questions. Teachers, wouldn't it be great if students these days just sat and listened? They still do that? I'm hearing rumbles that sometimes they don't. That's becoming a lost art with our children. It's becoming a lost art with ourselves. That's why. How do you listen to God? What does that even look like or perhaps sound like? Perhaps I've found that just sitting is a big piece of it. That's where it begins. Being quiet, learning to be still in itself allows us to hear God better. And sometimes as I sit, a hymn will come to mind or a song, and I'll begin to sing it softly. I'm just speaking personally here. Sometimes a person will come to mind as I'm just being still and sitting, and I'll begin to pray for them, and I find God is leading me to intercede on someone's behalf. I resist the urge to be distracted by the ticking of the clock or the dog or the gurgling of my own stomach. And it's hard. It's not easy. Often a verse of Scripture comes to mind, maybe even just a word, and that leads me to turn to my Bible. And I believe that reading God's word is a wonderful way of hearing his voice. The word of God, it is living and it is active and it speaks today like it spoke to its readers yesterday. Yes, there's certainly a need for things like historical context. There's certainly the need for things like recognizing different types of literature so that we know how to read it. And that's why it's so important that we have things like Sunday school and and times of, of preaching and teaching, but most of all, that the general church community just comes together and we just learn from one another. It doesn't matter what my title is or your title is or whatever. We are all disciples of Christ and we are all learning together. That's the best way to do it. Earlier this winter, I'd been encouraging the families to read the Bible with their children and for adults and parents in general to get into their Bibles. And I gave some examples of reading plans that can be used. And while imperfect, they offer us a step for teaching us discipline for daily reading. And I believe God can always take our discipline and turn that into desire. We need to be in God's word to live wisely, to live faithfully. And these words, they will come off the page and through the power of God's spirit, they will become life-giving and life-impacting. And it teaches us and shows us who God is and what he's done and what he is doing. And our role in all of that 
our role in the kingdom of God here on earth as it is in heaven. And I believe that we can hear him as clearly now as the people of God did back in these pages. But we must ask God for patience in this. Scripture is worth reading slowly and carefully. And before we crack open the Bible, I believe just asking God to be with us and show us what he wants to show us is always helpful. In time, a rhythm develops that will produce something incredible. We get used to reading God's word. We find we actually want to read God's word. How wonderful. And we find we want to hear him more and more because we realize we need him. So we sit and we listen. Often, through God's word, we listen. And we sit and we listen and we respond. We need to make space to respond to God. If there's one thing I love about the Bible, it's the Psalms. I love that God was willing to take our words to him and give them back to us as his word to us. How cool is that? And what he's telling us is that we are not only invited, but we are encouraged, and I think sometimes even commanded, to share with God, to respond to him. What does it say that the creator of the universe, who just happened to throw out one billion trillion stars, desires a two-way relationship with you? We can respond to the God of the universe, respond to what he's saying and doing in our lives and in the world around us. We respond with words and we respond with actions. We worship and we praise him. We play part in the work of God's kingdom and all the different ways that that looks like and in how we relate to him and humanity and the world around us. And certainly we respond with words. We pray, we speak to him. And I love that there is no subject that is taboo. There is nothing that we can't bring up before God. We are invited to respond to him at any time through any emotion. Think about the freedom that that gives us. We don't have to pretend. We don't have to put on an act. We don't have to say the right things or use flowery language to try and impress him. One of my favorite prayers is, what's the deal? What's the deal? Followed by help. Those are some of my favorite prayers. And I pray them often. And if you read a few of the Psalms, you'll see that I'm not original in that prayer. One of the greatest freedoms in our relationship with God is that we can ask questions. Jesus sat with the teachers of the law. He listened and he responded by asking those teachers questions. In fact, he answered some of their own questions too. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. But God hears you. And God understands you. And he will answer you. We get to ask and we get to receive answers. And I'll admit that the answers to prayer sometimes don't come easy. And sometimes they feel like they don't come at all. And often they're not the answer that we had hoped for. So we fall into the trap of responding for God, don't we? Okay, Lord, let me get the ball rolling for you. I'm just going to start on the path that I desire. And when you are ready, you just feel free to catch up. And I look forward to you being with me in that. But the answers to prayer, in my experience, often come through following the first two, sitting and listening. 
more than by doing. And remember, sit and listen are action words. They're just not the action words we like. In 2019, I want to encourage you, church, to make space to sit and to listen and to respond to God. And here's why I believe it's important to take this home and practice it. To practice it individually, but then to practice it communally, too. Here at church, or in a life group during the week, or in a a supper eight group, or with a friend over coffee, or with your kids at bedtime. The best part is, the more that we practice sitting and listening and responding to God individually, the more, I believe, it brings us together. God loves to reveal His purposes to His people. And the most exciting thing is when you hear someone say, God is telling you that too? Same here. And a desire to see these fresh ideas that God gives us come to fruition, propels us. And we need fresh ideas for 2019. And we need them to come from you, church. Your elders and your deacons and your staff and your ministers are good at coming up with some things, but the best ideas, and we talk about this in our meetings, the best ideas always come from people within the congregation. Do you think I could decorate this church as beautifully as it's been decorated? You don't want to see how I decorate a church. You have seen how I decorate a church. It's not pretty. And that's just decorating a church. The best ideas come from you. So start sitting and start listening and start responding to God and what he's putting on your heart for you and for this church and for the community around it. I don't want 2019 to be a year where we hold this incredible light of Christ, but these four walls are the bushel, the bushel that covers it. That light needs to continue to shine outwards in the ways that it has been. It is shining outwards, but in new ways too. So may I ask, let us sit and listen and respond to what God is showing you, and let's patiently and prayerfully consider what God wants us to do in this new year to come. But it's not easy. It does take discipline to sit and just to listen. Often it feels like we're one of those Voyager probes. We move so fast, it feels like we're covering 15 kilometers a second, and we're demanding that God keeps up with us. And then when we get tired and we get exasperated, we complain how there's no desire all of a sudden to be in God's word. And gosh, we just don't feel connected to church like we used to. And and we say, where are you, God? And God says, why are you searching for me? I'm right here. I'm in my father's house. It's not about where God is. It's about where we are. And sometimes we're 21 billion kilometers off the mark. But all it takes is one step back. And there he is, right with us. Because he's here. We've just celebrated the season of Emmanuel, God with us. And by the Spirit, the presence of Christ is with us too. Close, for we are now the Father's house. And he longs to draw us close, and we long for it too. It's ingrained in us. It is always there. So make space for him this new year, church. Start today. Sit, listen, 
and respond to the God of the heavens and the earth, of you and me. Make him the priority. And no matter what this year brings, failures or successes, blessings or tragedies, I do believe that we will be closer to him through it. And we need to be close to him today, more than ever. God bless you, church. Amen.